There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no heart, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Uh, second month of 2021 already. I know. That's so crazy. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't feel possible. Like I was talking to Kyler the other day about how time moves so fast. Yeah. And, he, and he's like, yeah, I mean, really, if I think about it. I, my life has been lived in thirds. I'm like, oh, right, because you're 15. And so he was breaking it down into these three little pockets of five. And I was just yeah. like, you have no idea. <laughs> uh, super cool, creepy crawly tea hitting the store today at badmagicmerch.com. I love this one. You do? Mm-hmm. I was really like looking at the image over and over. Uh, different feel than recent designs. I mean, uh-huh. I like all of our designs. Yeah. But I was like, oh, okay. A little like skull on the spider and mm-hmm. just like a slightly different aesthetic. Uh, nice variety, but still spooky. Spoops. And uh, and apologies to those of you who have waited uh, a long time for out-of-stock designs uh, and items. We're working on it. It's it's hard to track which items are going to be out of stock. Right. It's a complex system. Yeah, it's because of the print-on-demand nature of our business, just so you know. Like, yeah. Like, the only way we can kick out the prolific amount of super cool designs that we do for a company of our size mm-hmm. is to not have to warehouse everything. Uh, our warehouse provider does have huge stockpiles, mm-hmm. uh, usually in-house of all these items. But with COVID messing up supply chains, you know, not as much as normal. Right. And if one of their other big clients, you know, suddenly puts out a hot product, drains their stock, Mm -hmm. there isn't any left for us for a little while until they're replenished and replenishing times very substantially because fuck COVID. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just, I know, like I was talking to somebody, oh, my mom the other day, Mm -hmm. and she said that she ordered something in June. Yeah. And she still doesn't have it. From us? No. Oh, I was like, oh my God. No, like from from, from, from a big box store, from Anthropology. Wow. You know, which is, I think, Anthropology, Urban Outfitters, they're all like one huge. Oh, yeah. And it just is. I'm amazed. It it sucks. Going to the grocery store, going to like random box stores, sometimes still now, where I'm like, wow, they're out of all of these things. Oh, yeah. And they're like, yeah, hopefully we'll get them in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just kind of the nature of life for a lot of companies right now. Yeah, it's it's tough. The the system we set up, we set it up a few months before COVID. (laughs) I know, it was awesome. Beautifully. I know, so many colors, so Mm -hmm. many options. Because just so you guys know, too, like part of it is that 
in our previous system, mm-hmm. like pre-scare to death, actually, yeah. we had a system where we would order and we would be guessing, like, how many mm-hmm. extra smalls, how many smalls, how many... And it just was never... It right. Made, it made us want to quit doing merch. Yeah, it was just so hard because because <laughs> yeah. you're always operating at uh you know a disadvantage of like, oh well this shirt women liked more. How could I have known that? So yeah. I didn't have enough small mediums and mm-hmm. like oh the guys liked this one. And I didn't have enough extra large. It just and the system still is working for most the overwhelming majority yeah. of people. But we just wanted to reference you know yeah the, we're sorry it happens to us too it happens to us too yeah and uh, if you have questions or concerns you know email store at badmagicproductions.com to reach our dedicated customer service team who typically respond within 48 hours yeah. and and are very uh you know uh they're fans yeah yeah Teresa Bates over there mm-hmm. like heading the team making mm-hmm. sure everything happens in a timely fashion and they work really hard to make sure everyone's taken care of yeah so okay. so thank you to them and thank you to all you creeps peepers roberts and annabelles for uh, for supporting us uh we will have info about the february bad magic productions charity donation next week recording these more in advance now to give us some breathing room managing several shows and to help ensure that we continue to, you know, not miss a release. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's next week. This week, how much horror do you have for us, Lizzie I have Lou? so many horrors. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have just two stories. I'm okay. kind of back to more traditional format for me. I have, uh, do you remember the the Screaming Hallway story? A from, screaming hallway story. It was a story you told. Oh, I thought you were thinking, I was thinking in terms no. of fan stories. Yes, yeah. I do. So, so going back to college mm-hmm. and something in that realm, and then a weird situation down in Aguas Calientes, Mexico. Okay. And we were confused before the show because we have been to Aguas Calientes, but not Mexico. Peru. We've been to Peru's version. Peru's awesome if you've ever been there. <laughs> yes. I would, I would go back in a heartbeat. Me too. Me too. Uh, Causa. I think that's the potato dish I loved. Mm-hmm. Potato, and pisco, tuna. Pisco sours. Uh-huh. Which knocked me out of my ass. <laughs> I have uh, two stories as well. I have our first one, uh, the first tale I'm going to tell, our first story from Bangladesh. Ooh, that's fun. It is fun. It's a really cool story, I think. The Nishi, the night spirit whose call is fatal if you listen to it. Mm-hmm. Very creepy ghost who imitates a loved one to lure you to your death. Oh, dear. Uh, our second tale takes place uh, in the Devil's Tramping Ground, strange little patch of barren land in North Carolina hmm. that has long been feared and speculated about. Uh, why won't trees grow there? Uh, why do animals seem to fear it? Lots of folklore around this and then a, a modern encounter tale. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for uh, both these stories. Okay. Um, well, I'm glad you're excited. Ready to head to Bangladesh? I am. Now, I have on a repeat pair of socks, and I do have a new pair of Michigan State <laughs> fuzzy socks that I wore on this month's bonus episode because I refuse to wear them here, thanks to my fans, uh, Stephanie and Matt Ingram, for sending those over, but... They are not getting any uh, play here, okay? Once was enough. I'm going to burn them now. Perfect. Uh, Have you ever heard of the Nishi? No. I I feel like I'm having some sort of like martial arts sort of Nishi. Or is there... Martial arts? I don't know. I feel like... I don't don't know. I'm having like a weird... It's making me think of martial arts. Maybe like some move or some something... Nope. And then, uh-huh. well, you don't know. True. I don't know. <laughs> what are you, like a martial arts expert? <laughs> uh, and then Nietzsche, the uh, philosopher? Frederick Nietzsche, yeah, philosopher. Yeah. Okay. So those two things are smashed up in my brain. So I'll be thinking about <laughs> Frederick Nietzsche, the philosopher, doing taekwondo. Okay. Carry on. I was not expecting that. <laughs> You're uh, welcome. <laughs> the Nietzsche is a specific type of ghost, one of many different types, whose tales originate in Bengali folklore. Bengali culture comes from the region of Bengal, which today is comprised of the nation of Bangladesh and the Indian state of West Bengal. 
And while more certainly believed in this entity in years past than do now, many today do still fear the Nishi, a.k.a. the Night Spirit. And the Nishi, if you do believe in it, uh, is a creature to be feared. In Bengali culture, the paranormal is usually divided into four broad categories of spirits. Those who don't harm, you know, good spirits, evil spirits, or spirits that do harm, spirits of our ancestors who can either help or harm, and spirits that neither help nor harm, spirits who just are. Those those content to carry out their spirit existence without interfering in our world. I vote for a lot of number fours. (laughs) Uh, The Nishi belong to number two, the second category, evil spirits who harm, uh, easily the most dangerous category. It's said that these malevolent spirits lure their victim to a secluded area by calling to the person with the familiar voice of a loved one. The voice of the Nishi is known as Nishi or Nishir Dak, call of the night spirit. The Nishi call out to victims only at night, sometimes also appearing as a shadowy form in the distance, visible but unable to be fully seen. The shadowy form of the person whose voice they perfectly imitate. Oh boy. A dark shape beckoning its potential victim to follow it deeper into the gloom. The Nishi usually lurk in a hidden, deserted area where they will reveal their true form to their victims only just before almost always killing them. And while the Nishi usually operate solely on their own, some earthly masters of dark arts are said to be able to conjure, nurture, kind of control the Nishi. Some can use them to harm someone out of spite or revenge or to guard something. And when the Nishi come for you, they have only one weakness. They do not approach you without warning. They must lure you to them. And they cannot, oh, okay. And they cannot call, uh, call out to lure you more than twice. Oh, awesome. So you just have to ignore them twice. Yeah, which is why in some villages, children are taught to answer a familiar voice at night uh, only after it's called for you at least three times. I love this. This is very smart. So where do these spirits come from? Uh, there are several ways to create a Nishi. Most Nishis are thought to be created when someone experiences a particularly unpleasant and or violent transition from this life to the next, such as the victim of a murder. They can also come to be when someone is not given a respectful funeral. When the dead are not properly honored, their spirit can be angered and transformed into a Nishi. Okay. Also, when one is killed by a Nishi, a new Nishi is often created. And finally, as I mentioned before, certain dark shaman are said to be able to conjure them into existence, to pull them from some other spiritual plane. Sorry, did you say a Nishi can kill another Nishi? No. I missed number three. I I got confused. uh, When uh, someone is killed by a Nishi, their spirit, their soul, what have you, can then come back as a Nishi. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, People killed in road accidents or in rural parts of Bengal, uh, especially on deserted roads at night, often believed to have been killed by the Nishi, uh, as are those who die unnatural, unexplained deaths at night or those who go permanently missing. Why do these spirits kill? Some believe the Nishi kill due to anger over how they died in life. Some also think the Nishi must kill and keep killing in order to survive in their present form, that they must drain your life's energy to sustain their own existence. If not, their energy will dissipate and fade, and they will soon no longer be able to hold onto some kind of half-life in this plane. Can you kill the Nishi? Can you get rid uh, of one of these entities if they're targeting your family or your village? Can you destroy or at least release this monster from this world? Yes, there are highly specialized rituals designed to counter the black magic of the Nishi and ensure that they are guided to or find their way to the astral world. Uh, There are other rituals that can be performed for the release and peace for the soul of a Nishi victim, so another monster of the night is not created, but not always easy to find someone who knows these rituals. Okay, so now that you're familiar with this ancient Bengali apparition, let's hear a modern encounter tale that I like very much. 
Uh, I'll tell this story as the anonymous original teller presented it in the first person. Time now for the tale of the Nishi in the well. When I was a kid, growing up in Bangladesh, until at least the age of 13 or 14, my mother used to drop me off at school. And when I was no more than 10 or 11, I started attending a new primary school. And between this school and my parents' house, there was a strange building on whose entrance had eight human skulls on either side of the main gate. That's weird. Driving past, no matter how many times I saw it, this stone building always filled me with curiosity. It often gave me the goosebumps. I asked my mother about this place, and she told me it was a Kinaram temple where the local Agori worshipped. The Agori scared me as a kid. To be totally honest, they still scare me a bit now. The Agori scare many. They incorporate the dead into their worship. In some of their rituals, they will literally drink blood from a human skull. In others, they will eat actual human flesh or cover themselves in the ashes of someone who has been cremated. Why? They will also eat garbage, rotten food, animal feces, even human excrement. Why? They say to attain enlightenment, to show humility, that they are above nothing in this world. They do it to show that God is in everything, even in so-called vile and taboo things like rotting food, human flesh, and animal dung. Nothing is unholy. Everything is sacred. Some friends of mine tell me that these examples are just the more extreme of their rituals that most of their rituals are tame and even boring, that at their core, they are just faithful worshipers of Shiva, just a, a rare group of Hindus practicing a interesting kind of sect of their religion. Others have told me the Aghoris are wicked, that they engage in black magic in their temples, that they know how to conjure and control dark spirits, spirits like the Nishi. I think there are probably both kinds, the harmless and the not-so-harmless. After what I saw as a kid, I do now believe in black magic. Their temple scared me, and after the night my cousin died, it scares me more now. My cousin was the same age as me. Our birthdays are just a few months apart, and he was staying with my family for a while before he disappeared. His father had gotten sick and lost his job, and his parents needed help caring for and feeding their family. We grew up poor, but compared to my cousin, we were wealthy. We always had three meals a day and shoes on our feet. He often had neither. My cousin had also seen this temple a few times, traveling back and forth between his house and mine, and it scared and intrigued him just like it did me. And one night, after dinner, he told me that we should go explore it. He said that we should find out if the Agori really do eat people's flesh. Oh boy. See if we can catch them drinking blood from skulls. He wanted to quietly sneak up to their temple in the middle of the night and spy on them. I told him that what he was proposing was a very, very bad idea. If our parents found out what we were doing, we'd be caned until we couldn't sit down for a week. My father never did actually cane me, but some other children in our neighborhood did get beaten with canes, and the threat terrified me. And I was sure if we were caught doing this, we would both certainly be beaten in some form. I shared all these fears with my cousin, but still he persisted. He was too curious to be stopped. And as scared as I was, I was curious too. We'd, what did go on at that strange temple at night? I shivered as I thought of the possibilities. I also really, really wanted to know a trip like this would be the greatest adventure of my young life. Somewhat reluctantly, but honestly, not that reluctantly, I agreed. And late that night, I don't know exactly what time, when the house was quiet, we were sure everyone else was asleep, with only one flashlight between us and our bicycles, the two of us snuck out. We walked our bikes the first hundred meters or so, and then rode them along the banks of the river Ganga towards the temple. My heart was pounding in my chest as we rode. I'm not sure what I was more afraid of, the Agoris catching us spying on them in their temple, or my father finding out what we'd done when we'd returned. 
I could tell by the look in his eyes that my cousin was afraid as well. So much adrenaline was pumping through my young body, I could actually hear the thump thump, thump thump, thump thump of my heartbeat in my ears. Soon after maybe 20 minutes, we had arrived close enough to the temple that we hopped off our bikes and walked them until we'd reached the edge of the large temple grounds. We hid them in some bushes, then quietly approached the main gate that led inside, the gate with eight skulls on either side, eight human skulls. I froze with fear at the sight of them. I'd never actually seen human skulls up close before. Who puts them on a gate like this? Why? And now I'd have to climb over them. At that age, we were almost like monkeys in our ability to scale gates and fences, and we quickly and easily scaled up and over the gate, making almost no noise. I managed to not touch any of the skulls in the process, which at the time felt like a good omen. Once on the ground on the other side, we could see what looked like candlelight coming from within the temple. We exchanged glances our eyes wide in wonder and with fear and excitement, and we made our way towards the temple. Were they inside, right now, performing some forbidden dark ritual? We approached the massive main entrance, and then we both heard her. We heard my cousin's mother's voice calling out from the darkness, calling his name, asking him to come over to her right away. Mother, he said. We were both so confused. What could she possibly be doing here? She lived over 20 kilometers away, she could have not known we would be here. She was not a gory. And then my poor young cousin saw her. He pointed to, toward some trees near the back of the temple, and now I saw her as well. At least I saw what looked like her standing out there in the darkness. She beckoned him urgently with her hand. And after a moment of hesitation, he ran towards oh, her. Oh, shit. I called out for him to stop. Something felt so wrong about all of this. When I knew he wouldn't stop running, I ran after him. I still had the flashlight, but I didn't want to be alone in the dark near a temple full of men who I'd once heard from some school children would happily sacrifice and eat me if they could. At the time, I was certain they were talking crazy just to scare me. Now, I wasn't so sure. Chasing my cousin, we both watched the figure in the darkness suddenly fall or maybe crawl down into something. Still running, but slower because my cousin was now beginning to get freaked out as well, we soon realized she had gone down into a well. Near the well, in the moonlight, I noticed what looked like some bones. Human bones? Broken skull fragments? Maybe even some teeth? It was too dark to tell. I also saw what looked like some funeral clothes used to decorate a dead body. Is this where the Agori performs some of their rituals? My cousin then asked me for the flashlight. I gave it to him with a trembling hand as we both walked towards the edge of the well. Two or three meters away, we both stopped. We were shaking. I told my cousin whatever we saw, it was not his mother that we needed to run, that we needed to run right now, get our bikes, hurry home, never come here again. I think he was about to agree with me, but then we both heard her voice once more. It sounded exactly like my aunt. Her voice coming from down inside the well. She called my cousin's name again saying, please son, help me. I've fallen inside. It's not too deep. Just give me your hand and help pull me out. My cousin could not resist. Oh no. He ran to the well's edge and I was right behind him. Here, he said, handing me back the flashlight. Shine it into the well so I can see her. And then while I fumbled a bit to turn it on, he got down on his hands and knees at the well's edge. I finally managed to turn the light on right before it grabbed him, the dark shape of his mother floating just inside the well. When I shone the light on her, we both screamed. It no longer looked anything like his mother. It looked almost like a transparent skeleton wrapped in possibly black tendrils of smoke. And this thing pulled my cousin down with it into the well. I stumbled backwards and dropped the flashlight. As I hit the ground, I heard my cousin's terrified scream cut short. I'll never forget how quickly that sound stopped. Oh, God. I'm sure I heard him die that moment. 
I scrambled to my feet and ran back towards the gate. As I ran, I saw Nagori Sadu standing outside the large main door. He was staring right at me, not saying a word. There was no expression that I could see on his face, a face covered in ash. Was he holding the top of a human skull in his hands? I could tell immediately he knew what was happening. He made no effort to help me, to try and help my cousin, to try and stop this thing. He just watched. I'm guessing this wasn't the first time he'd seen something like that. I kept running. I scaled the wall even faster on the way out than I had on the way in. I stepped on some skulls as I came down the other side. I didn't care what I touched anymore, just as long as it wasn't that thing. I quickly grabbed my bike. Seeing my now dead cousins next to it instantly brought tears to my eyes. And then I nearly about jumped out of my skin. I heard my father's booming voice behind me. Stop this instant, he yelled, sternly adding my name. Come back and help your cousin. I knew it wasn't him, but it sounded so real I looked back anyway. About ten meters away in the shadows stood the shape of my father. But it wasn't him. It was the thing from the well. What I now know was Anishi. I turned back around and jumped on my bike. I never rode it faster than I did that night. I never slowed down the whole ride home. It was easy to keep pedaling as fast as I could, knowing the Nishi was always right behind me. I kept catching its movements out of the corners of my eyes. No matter how fast I pedaled, it was always there. I made no attempt to be quiet when I reached my parents' property. I threw down my bike and was about to call out for my family when I heard my father's voice again. What are you doing? He hissed, again adding my name. Where have you been? How dare you scare your mother and I? Come over here at once before you wake everyone else up, he commanded from the darkness behind me. I turned and for a moment actually expected to see my father, but I saw, of course, his shadow instead, beckoning me to come speak with him out behind some trees. And despite everything I'd just seen, I almost followed his command. I felt hypnotized. Luckily, I then heard my mother's voice behind me, my actual mother. I spun back around and ran towards her. Mother, I yelled, grabbing her. Where's father? He's awake in the house like everyone else, she scolded. I couldn't sleep and went to check on you and couldn't find you or your cousin. Where is he? Where have you been? She went on and on. As she continued to lecture me, I spun back around to see where the shadow of my father was. And I saw it again. I saw it fade from shadow to nothing. It appeared as if it was gone, but I know if I would have ran to where I'd seen it, it would have returned to a form that would have touched me, grabbed me, killed me. My mother dragged me into the house, handed me to my father. I burst into tears and told them everything. Of course, they didn't believe me. Not entirely. They called the police. They called my aunt. She, despite her grief, despite probably being in shock, did believe me. The authorities told my family and my aunt that they went to the temple but found nothing amiss. They also lectured me never to trespass. When they left, my aunt warned my parents about the Nishi. While my parents are a bit more modern, she still believed in the old legends. She knew of the Nishi. And she warned my parents that it would come back for me, that I had brought it home that night, and now it could come for any of us. And soon it did. My aunt had begged my parents to hire a local holy man, a sadhu, she knew who knew the ways of ridding oneself of this pestilent spirit. But they didn't listen. They should have. My younger sister disappeared forever just a few weeks later. <gasps> my little brother was near her when they both heard our mother call for her out from the trees not long after sundown. And after our sister came to her call, my actual mother showed up from inside the house a few minutes later. My little brother told her what had happened. My mother ran out into the darkness, but it was too late. My sister was gone. They never found her body. After that, my parents brought the holy man to our home. He made us all leave our home while he performed his strange, secret rituals. Whatever he did, it must have worked. I think. We lost no one else. But sometimes I wonder if that spirit is really gone. Sometimes at night, I still think I hear it. A familiar voice calling me out into the darkness. 
Sometimes I think I see it, a familiar shape in the shadows, commanding me to come closer. I wish I'd never seen that temple. Yeah. I will start now, going forward, always expect you to answer me three times before I come anywhere near you. Uh, There's going to be a lot of like, hey, Dan, what? Mm-hmm. Hey, Dan, what? Hey, Dan, what? And we're like, okay, that's three. We're good. <laughs> this story um, fascinated me and it pulled me to this little wormhole on the web, uh, learning a little bit about the Agori. Yeah. And I have some pictures and I just, I find this fascinating. This, this first picture is an Agori sadhu or holy man. Yikes, he looks fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. He's covered in ash. They will go to these big uh, areas where His like... Bo- eyes are so creepy. They're so white. Mm-hmm. They're so intense. Yeah, he's just like staring really intensely off to the side. And he's... Uh, yeah, they will cover themselves in human ash. Um, he has that, you know, top of the human skull there in front of him. This next picture is another sadhu. He looks like a like a hippie gone wrong. He's yeah, like dreadlocks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like... And they smoke um, actually a lot of weed. Yeah, uh, part no. of their like uh, hashish and things. Well, you, part ha- of the you have to if you're going to be eating feces, urine, rotten garbage. Rotten, like yeah, garbage. Why? I, I, to prove humility. To prove I that they're above nothing. Well, fuck that. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's uh, another whole. And then this, uh, then a third picture. I just find this uh, these pics fascinating. Yep, he's got his skull. Wow. Yeah, like a he's like the sadhu is like a um uh, it's kind of like a shaman. Yeah. A, a priest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then this last what, one just some, I wonder what's around his neck. Like what's on those necklaces? I'm sure it's all very like symbolic. Mm-hmm. Is it dried out poop? <laughs> it kind of looks so. like it from here. But it, it was interesting listening to the one like I think it was it wasn't BBC, but it sounded like a British or perhaps Australian uh narrator talking about how like they, they reference, you know, like they're not above what was it like um uh, like, oh, they said, like, God is in everything from something like regal to cow dung. But yeah, just uh, very interesting. And then, yeah, like an extreme smaller sect, you know, it's a little branch of Hinduism. Yeah. And then this last one, photo art imagining of the Nishi, just like some shadow out there in the distance. And this is one of so many different ghosts. So I'm sure we'll be traveling back to like Bangladesh or this mm-hmm. area because uh, part of their folklore that the Nishi was one of, I don't know, 15, 20 different spirits. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was really, I had goosebumps the whole time. It was just so creepy because, I mean, your logical brain, like, how could my mom be here? I snuck out in the middle of the night. It doesn't make sense. But like, I have definitely gotten caught by my mom doing things when I was a kid <laughs> right, where I was right. like, how the fuck did she know I was here? Um, so it doesn't feel impossible yeah. for that. And how do you say no to someone calling your name? Right. A voice that you know. Mm-hmm. And it's and, and and like an image too, a familiar image, you know, like the way they describe it in lots of like the folklore stories, it's it's never it's never clear. Like right. at least the ones that I read. Maybe there's other variations. But the ones I came across, it's never clear, but it's definitely the shape. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes even like the features, but maybe a little bit translucent. It's yeah, like a little this bit soft. Yeah, soft. All, it's like it can almost look like a doppelganger, look exactly like, you know, somebody familiar to you, but not quite. And then, but the voice apparently is perfect. Like it's just, you know, it'd be like absolutely hearing somebody you knew talk to, talking to you. It's just so weird. It's a different kind of doppelganger. Mm-hmm. Like a voice doppelganger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but, yeah and, and imitation it, is just. Ugh. And that only twice thing I found so interesting too. I know. I love that mm-hmm. actually. Cause I like knowing that I can protect myself. Yeah. Just don't go. Don't reply. Three times, Dan. Don't, don't follow it out in the darkness. So if you call out to me in the darkness, <laughs> like if you're, if you were to let the dogs out and then you went outside with them for some reason that I don't know why you would do that. Yeah. And you're like, oh baby, come, come see the dogs doing this thing. I'm not coming until you call my name three times. 
I just, I just, I like exploring these other uh, countries and cultures where, yeah, like the rules are a little bit different, and but but there's so many similarities too. Mm-hmm. Just the shadowy apparition, the familiar coming for you. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I'm fascinated by all the themes that are universal, global. Yeah. Always at night, always in the dark. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing that always irritates me, too. I'm like, bitch, if you're here, you're here now. Okay? You don't have to wait for it to be dark. You can just, poof, show up right now. Mm-hmm. We don't know the rules. I don't, I don't think it's rules. I think it's your imagination. That's what I'm going with. Yeah. So, you know, hope, hope uh-huh. for <laughs> Uh You ready for another tale? Sure. Okay. My second story coming after a quick sponsor break. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Thanks for listening to our sponsors, Creeps and Peepers. Now we travel back to America for uh, another legend. Okay. This is a pretty weird one. Uh, If you ask the locals of southern Chatham County, North Carolina about the devil's tramping ground, or Chatham, excuse me, you might get an eye roll, scoff, maybe a nervous look, the look of someone remembering an old, scary story told to them back in their childhood, uh, one they try to tell themselves they don't believe in anymore. Find the right person, you might see a genuine flash of fear in their eyes before they turn away or change the subject. The devil's tramping ground lies tucked in the rolling hills of Chatham County, south of Siler, North Carolina, in the woods near Harper's Crossroads. It's a mysterious, perfectly round, absolutely barren circle of land about 40 feet in diameter, smack in the middle of a bunch of tall pine. And no one seems to know why almost nothing will grow inside this circle. Many have tried to end the mystery by planting various seeds there. Nothing of substance will ever sprout. They've been trying for over a century. Animals often refuse to cross this circle. Dogs will start barking, the hair on their spine raised as if they sense nearby danger. Part of the folk folklore around the Devil's Tramping Ground says you're not supposed to leave anything in the circle overnight and supposedly risks awakening whatever may dwell there. People have claimed to have tossed empty bottles inside the circle only to have found them the next morning smashed to pieces along its edges. Various personal items smashed and destroyed, their broken remains also seemingly thrown outside the circle's edge. Some local teenage girls working the counter grill at Harper's Crossroads, interviewed about the Devil's Tramping Ground, said that they lock their car doors whenever they drive past, that they won't step inside that circle. Other locals have claimed to see a pair of red glowing eyes in the circle from the nearby road. 
One talks about a harrowing time he tried to drive his car off the road and into the circle and it stalled and wouldn't restart. Then he said the same thing happened again when he brought another car the next night. A skeptical reporter investigating the Devil's Tramping Ground from Greensboro spent the night there a few years ago reported hearing footsteps circling his tent at night. But no one was there when he peeked out and no tracks were there the following morning. That's creepy. The stories go on and on. Uh, the circle's history shrouded in legend. Some stories claim, explaining how the space got its name, that the devil himself spend, spent some of his nights pacing around inside this circle thinking of how to bring more human souls to damnation. And the scorching heat of his passing has left the soil barren. This explanation goes back over 300 years to when the area was first founded by European settlers. From generation to generation, the story was passed down until the first written record of this belief emerged in an article in 1882, which acknowledged that tribes indigenous to the area who'd lived near the circle a lot longer than three centuries have, quote, all a superstitious dread of this place. In 1925, a 70-year-old man born in 1851 said the spot looked unchanged from when he first saw it decades ago and that it looked the same as his grandpa said it looked when he was a boy. Even today, it remains unchanged. What has changed over the years are the sightings. In the 1930s, locals started to report a gigantic black beast that hunters said would chase them and their dogs away. Fuck. The Chatham Record wrote, There is a story current of how coon and possum hunters and their dogs have been on more than one occasion chased from the vicinity of the devil's tramping ground by a ferocious beast said to resemble a black bear. This certainly didn't resemble the devil of Christian lore, this beast, leading some to wonder if the devil's tramping ground wasn't associated with just one entity, but was the location of some, some sort of portal. In 1946, scientists tried to solve the mystery of the area's barrenness by conducting soil tests. The test determined that the soil was sterile, and newspapers called the mystery halfway solved. But they acknowledged even those tests did not determine why the strange circle of sterile soil existed, or why it had persisted for centuries. Just a few years ago, a North Carolina soil scientist named Richard Hayes tested the soil in the Devil's Tramping Ground as well. And he actually found the soil inside the circle to be more fertile than the soil outside the circle, which is filled with trees. Hayes said to reporters, I just can't explain it scientifically. I can't explain why nothing's here. Another possible explanation has been put forth by ufologists who speculate that the soil in the Devil's Tramping Ground is barren because the circle was the site of a UFO landing. And radiation from its extraterrestrial engines, or something like radiation, contaminated the soil. Is the circle connected to aliens or to the red eyes people claim to see there to this day? Is the Devil's Tramping Ground some kind of skinwalker ranch? A place where some believe there's a rift in the fabric of our world, allowing things from other realms to pass into our own? It's a mystery. Just last year, travelers Elena and Jack wanted to explore this mystery. Time now for the tale of another strange night at the Devil's Tramping Ground. When they'd set off for their cross-country road trip just a few months back, both of them haven't been working from home for a while, both of them bored with the same surroundings, they knew they'd, been do it, they'd be doing a lot of camping, out in the middle of nowhere with no one around. It was a perfect time for a trip like this in the new socially distanced world they lived in. They hadn't planned on stopping by the Devil's Tramping Ground, but when they passed the exit for Siler City, Jack remembered something an uncle once told him when he was a kid about passing through this area and checking out a weird spot in the woods full of local lore. Jack asked Elena if she wanted to see what Jack's uncle had been talking about all those years ago, and Elena agreed to check it out. Why not? It was getting late, and they both agreed to spend the night there after pulling up the location on Jack's phone. Thank God for Google Maps. 
They were excited. It sounded different and fun, and the weather was pretty good. Over the course of their travels, they'd camped in much worse conditions, in freezing rain and on the side of busy roads. A nice, pleasant evening in the North Carolina woods didn't sound that bad at all. They parked their car and checked out the circle as the sun began to set. And initially, they weren't very impressed. Not much to it. Just a circle of barren ground surrounded by pine trees, not far off a local road that led to a small local airfield. Elena and Jack worried that other campers would be there when they showed up, but it looked like they had the whole place to themselves. The only thing that stood out at first as being odd was how quiet it was around the circle. When Elena strained her ears, she couldn't even hear the sounds of birds or of any other small creatures rustling nearby. Jack didn't seem bothered by the lack of forest sounds or anything else at their location. But the longer Elena stared at the circle, the more the place seemed eerie. Eerie that it was too quiet, eerie that nothing was growing there, and eerie for other reasons she just couldn't put a finger on. The more she looked at it, the more she could imagine the circle spreading, just growing larger and larger until all the woods were that same dead brown color, completely barren. Jack took a few pictures to show his uncle later and then got busy setting up, more interested in getting the camp ready so they could eat than he was at staring at the odd sight before them. Elena joined him in unpacking their supplies and setting up. A few minutes in, when Jack went to put up the poles for the tent, a confused look crossed his face. Where's a mallet? He asked. I put it in there, Elena replied, pointing. Check that other bag. Uh, no you didn't, Jack said after digging into it for a few moments. Shit, sorry, Elena said. I guess I might have lost it. Can you just use a rock or something? It'll damage the pegs, Jack complained. Elena rolled her eyes. I'll buy you some new pegs, she said. A few weeks of each other, a few weeks of each other's constant never-ending company was wearing on them. They'd been getting irritated over little things they never cared about before. Jack picked up a rock and dug the pegs into the ground, and within a few moments, the tent was up just outside of their circle, or just outside of the circle. Jack initially wanted to sleep inside the circle, but Elena, not having it. She was adventurous, but that just seemed to her to be stupid. Probably a bunch of superstition, but why risk it? And then Jack tossed the rock he'd been using on the pegs down inside the circle. Oh, boy. Hey, you should move that, Elena started. Do we have any cereal bars left? Jack interrupted. Elena looked into the bag. Uh, yeah, there's still a couple in there. They both ate, felt a little better, and Elena forgot all about the rock. About a half hour later, by the light of their campfire, they played some cards and talked for a while, maybe talked a little too much about the legend surrounding the Devil's Tramping Ground, before climbing into their sleeping bags and falling asleep. Jack was out relatively quickly. Elena tossed and turned. She couldn't get comfortable. She kept having flashes of something. She wasn't sure if it was a dream or a memory or something else. Her mind just kept wandering, and then she'd think of that stupid circle expanding, expanding and spoiling everything around it, turning the forest into a sea of dead trees, sucking all the life out of the birds and the deer and the people, everything. She couldn't get this weirdly vivid and dark thought out of her head. Why was her mind torturing her like this? She just wanted to fall asleep. She'd almost finally drifted off when she heard something other than her own thoughts and Jack's snoring. It was a sound of a footstep on the matted grass just outside the tent, from inside the circle. Just as she tried to tell herself that she was imagining it, she heard the wet sound of that foot slowly lifting in the grass just next to her head, literally inches away outside the tent. Jack, she whispered. Jack. He blinked awake and looked at her. Did you hear that? Hear what? Jack whispered back, still half asleep. Then he woke up fully when they heard another slow crunch of grass and what sounded like something pacing about near them. Then there was another sound, very faint, the sound of something being picked up from the dirt 
something scraping a bit as if it was being dragged. Jack, Elena whispered with more urgency, her mind flashing on the stone in the circle. You took that rock out of the circle, right? Right? He looked from her to the, uh, from her to her side of the tent with a bit of panic in his eyes. Then they both heard the sound of something being set down, a little thump in the grass. Maybe something had just fallen. Probably just a pine cone. They both almost started to laugh at their silliness. And then, bam! Something collided with the side of the tent, ripping a hole in it. Elena screamed and Jack yelled, What the fuck? As the tent started to collapse. They were stuck in the dark with no idea what had just attacked them. Flailing, Elena tried her best to get out of the tent, but every move she made just made her more tangled. Soon all she could see was the dark nylon. Then a burst of white. Elena was momentarily blinded. It was Jack, shining the flashlight into her eyes. Come on, he shouted. Stand up, run, he yelled as he pulled the tent off of her. Elena and Jack ran without thinking where they were running to, where the car was. In their confusion, they ran away from the car in the road, deeper into the forest. Elena could hear Jack behind her breathing hard, and she just kept running. The further they ran, the more the forest seemed to come alive around them. They heard various bugs and critters making the nighttime sound you'd expect. Finally, they stopped and looked back behind them. Nothing seemed to be chasing them as they stopped and tried to control their breathing. Who had thrown that rock? Elena's mind flashed again in the circle expanding, bringing death with it. Dead trees, dead animals, dead her, dead Jack. She felt panicky. It was a clear night and almost a full moon, and they could see the area around them well enough to move through the woods without a light, and they agreed to head back towards the car. What other choice was there? Even if they didn't feel safe heading directly to the car, at least they knew a road lay behind it. After walking for about two hours, they finally made it to the road, a little two-lane highway. They hadn't found their campground, but at least they were out of the woods. Ten or so minutes later, a passing truck finally approached. They waved their arms, and the truck stopped and offered to take them into the nearest town. Much more freaked out by their strange evening than the possibility of getting murdered while hitchhiking, they eagerly accepted. We're going to Siler City, Jack said, at least near there, the devil's tramping ground. The driver laughed. That's over 40 miles from here. What kind of late-night hiking trip did you take? 40 miles? Elena replied softly. Jack sat silent with his mouth agape. We only walked a few hours. At most. We just got a bit turned around before sundown heading back to camp, she half lied. The driver laughed again. A bit? You got turned around more than a bit. And you're walking more than for a few hours. Unless you two are the fastest walkers in the whole wide world. Elena tried to laugh back and failed. Jack remained quiet in shocked silence. Elena felt a chill run down her spine. The driver took pity on them, and because he was heading somewhat in the direction of the devil's tramping ground, he ended up driving them all the way to their car. Elaine and Jack thanked the man and hopped out. As they stared at their destroyed tent, the driver told them, You might want to grab your stuff and find somewhere else to stay. I don't want to spook you, didn't want it before you mentioned it, but something's wrong with this place. My dad used to tell me some stories, crazy stories. You could just feel it. The ground here is poison, something wicked with this place. I'll stay here a minute while you pack up quick, but I won't stay much longer than that. Jack and Elena quickly grabbed their stuff, most of it at least, threw it into the car haphazardly as fast as they could. As they threw in the last of it, they waved to the driver who was already starting to back up and then pull out. And as they pulled out, Elena saw a pair of red eyes from the far edge of the circle. She would have screamed for Jack to drive, but he was already shook up and he was already driving. Later, he'd tell her that he saw them too. They drove back towards Siler City in silence. What had happened? They didn't walk for 40 miles. They didn't walk for more than 10. What attacked their tent? What were those red eyes? 
The dead circle expanding again flashed in Elena's mind, spreading, covering everything around it in rot and decay as it grew wider and wider. What if a circle like that grew wide enough to cover the whole world, she thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a weird one. I will not be camping there. I actually had the thought as you were telling that story of like, you know, we haven't been camping since we started the show, and I think I'd like to keep it that way. <laughs> I think there's no more tent camping for me. Oh, yeah. We haven't tent camped. That's right. Went we haven't to, camped we, at all. We went to Yellowstone. We didn't camp. We stayed in a fucking hotel. <laughs> That's right. I guess it doesn't count. We're in a park, <laughs> but it's not camping. You're right. Yeah, we haven't like really... We yeah. have very different God. terms, uh, definitions of camping, my friend. That's right. I, I just... I can't believe it's been that long, but we yeah, haven't. Yeah, we couldn't get a uh, a campsite. Right. Right? I mean, it was covid yeah. it was in yellowstone and yeah. well yeah in yellowstone i mean it books out yeah the last time we went i had to book it almost a year and a half in advance that's right that's right uh-huh. this chair i'm so sorry <laughs> it adds to the ambiance it's like a kind of yeah, except just... it's like i move and then it's just like <laughs> so if you hear that sorry there um yeah that's weird just started today um okay. well i feel like did our chairs get swapped because last week no. i thought your chair was doing this also while you were telling that story i don't know if it was like the cameras or mm-hmm. what I don't think it was because it was above it. It was like, um, you know, I don't know how to explain it. I just, I saw something and it just really freaked me out. Like uh, when something is sort of uh, uh, like the TV is like staticky and something uh, sort of starts to like come in where it's like, it feels like something is like pushing into another kind of either. I know. And then I was like, around. it freaked me out because I'm like, what did I just see? <laughs> like something like. Uh, like dissolving, but instead of dissolving, like yeah. coming, and I was like, "Wait, oh, what?" No. <laughs> I, I, yeah. And then in my mind, as you were telling the story, I was listening, but I was doing all my little safety mantras. Yeah, yeah. But then I saw you see something over here. No, I, yeah, I don't know where I was looking. Uh huh. There was just one moment where you were like, you were reading, mm-hmm. but then I saw your eyes kind of like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> get, get a little into it. Uh huh. Uh huh. So, so I only have two photos. Um, this first is a photo of the devil's tramping ground. I mean, and visually it doesn't look like much. It's just with all the lore and everything. And, and and it's just interesting that they have actually done tests on the soil numerous times over the years. It's just weird that like all around it, up bless you, all all around it is, uh, this pine forest. And then in that circle, just nothing. Uh, It makes me think of Ozarks. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I miss that show. Uh, yeah, me too. And I, miss, then, I miss new TV shows in general. <laughs> and then this next one is just a, a cool, creepy photo that came up with an article on the Devil's Tramping Ground. Okay. I just uh, interesting little devil dude there. Devil man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that story. Uh, I, I do like at the end with the truck driver and him. Like, I mean, I thought it's pretty sweet of him that he waited. Like that he believed that there is the possibility of something happening. There was so much that he didn't just like drop them off. He waited for them off. to load up. He was keeping an eye on them, making sure that they were safe. Yeah. And then, and then just that weird, um, you know, part of their story of, like, how would they just suddenly be transported yeah, further 40 away? 40 yeah, miles. How long would it That's take you to detail. walk 40 miles? A long time. Well, especially hiking through the woods. Right. Because it's not like you're on a, some nice paved trail that's flat. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to think, like, we <laughs> we live approximately a mile from downtown. Yeah. And it would probably take about... But when I was running, which mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to do anymore, I would run from our house there. Like, that was kind of part of my loop to yeah. get in a couple miles. And I think it would take me, like, 10 or 12 minutes to run from our house to downtown. Yeah. So what if you were walking, and at that, like, if you weren't walking at any particularly fast pace, I bet it would take every bit of 45 minutes. 
Yeah, I think I feel like um, 15 minutes is about what I like if I'm walking a mile and not like trying to do it in any like fast time. Yeah. 15, 16 minutes a mile. And that's like flat ground sidewalk. Wait, you think you could walk one mile in 15 minutes? Yeah. Pe- people run a 15 minute mile. That's real slow. I've ran a six minute mile before. That's maybe when you weighed about <laughs> one pound. That's I, I literally just <laughs> No, that was in said, my 30s. No, I, 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 it took I, me approximately 10 minutes mm-hmm. to, to and, run one mile. And I don't want to get like uh, bunkered down in details, but I know for a fact that from our door to downtown is more like a mile and a half. Okay. So a mile and a half, but still. But, yeah. Yeah. You think that you could walk from our house to downtown in... No, because that's a mile and a half, so that would take me about 22 minutes, and I do think I could. Oh, man. I Just so you guys know, I am going to ask Dan when the weather is better to take a casual stroll from our house to downtown, and I <laughs> will be timing it. Let's say you walked five miles per hour. Okay. okay. So that would be eight hours to get 40, 40 miles. Right. That's crazy. Right. Yeah, that's a it's, long time. It's just time. not possible. It's yeah. not possible. And that's a fat. I feel like five miles an hour is a fast ass walk too. That's a mall. That's a mall walker. <laughs> right. Right. She just <clears throat> right. Yeah. That's, she's gear. Grandma's geared up. <laughs> Sweatband. Mm-hmm. Oh, bring it. Yeah. Bring it. Your dad's a mall walker. Oh, he is now. That's right. I mean, I don't know if they are now with COVID. If they can, but he was previously a mall walker because him and his wife would like to walk the mall uh-huh. and then go to Barnes and Noble uh-huh. and borrow a book because they were so like they're like did you know right that you can just go in there and read a book and you don't even have to pay know, for it so you can weird. just put it back yeah you can super fucking annoying to everybody <laughs> who works there it's not a library it's a bookstore uh, i love yeah, it you can also do that at a library it makes me laugh where you're so supposed to do that yeah but you can't get a cup of coffee there <laughs> it's ridiculous i <laughs> <laughs> love it it made me laugh so hard all right all right well are you ready for me to bring the spoop I am. Okay, what little squishy-wishy you got? The, it took me a second to figure out who this little guy was. It's, uh, it's Chucky. I had to read the, the good guy written on his mm, little suit. He's so, cute. So I was like, what's he holding in his hand? I honestly don't know. Some some weapon from one of the many Child's Play movies. But this is a uh, friend to the end, Chucky. Friend to the end. Now, you had like... Did you want a Chucky doll? Or no, what? there wasn't. They didn't sell. I wanted my buddy doll. My buddy, that's what it was. And and Chucky, the good guy dolls, were based, were inspired Partially right. by the uh, my buddy dolls and your aunt used to like tease my you buddy, about the buddy doll. My buddy, mm-hmm. what, what? wherever he goes. No, so what, I can't what remember. What would Stella hey, say? Oh, she, uh, she just um, I just thought they were so stupid, and she's like, "I'll, I'll just get you one for your um, birthday." And just that little kid thing. I'm like, yeah. "I don't want one." Mm-hmm. No, 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 it's fine. You, you don't have to be embarrassed. No, but I don't want one. <laughs> oh, it's okay. You're embarrassed to have a little doll. Stop it! I mean, she just loved to round me up. Oh, she still does. Uh huh. And, and but that particular one went on for the whole length of those commercials. Oh she God, was, I love it. Love the reaction I she get out of me. Love it. Your aunt Stella kills me. She's really she funny. funny. She is funny. Okay, so as I mentioned before, we are going to go back to a college setting and when i read oh, this yeah. story it made me flash back on a couple episodes ago you telling a story about the yeah, screaming, screaming hallway hall. a whole crazy if you haven't that was I, a good one that was good mm-hmm. i don't know what episode that was but you can go find it um okay did you have any weird potentially paranormal dorm experiences i did not or were you just like too fucked up blackout drunk to even know <laughs> yeah i yeah i party quite a, quite a bit in college i don't, I don't remember any any paranormal stuff i don't remember even talking about yeah, hauntings. I don't even really remember watching that many horror movies when I was in college. Me either. Uh, or movies, period. It was just like study, party, study, party, study, party. Mm. Mine was something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it at that. All right. All right. So this story comes from Kayla M. Uh-huh. And she proceeds with, I'm a new listener, but completely obsessed with your podcast and YouTube channel. Thank you, Kayla. Thank you. As a creeper, I appreciate everything that you do and figured I would share one of my own stories. I hope it's creepy enough. The Dreadful Dorm. In 2008, my grandmother passed away very unexpectedly. 
It was very hard on my entire family, but being 16 at the time, I temporarily set aside my own grief so I could ensure that my dad and my younger sister were supported. After the funeral, I remember laying in bed one night and wishing that I could have gotten the chance to say goodbye since she meant so much to me. That night, I had a very realistic dream about her coming to see me, and I have continued to feel a connection with her ever since. Apparently, this willingness to be open to the supernatural has led me to become a bit of a ghost beacon. I have since been informed by supernatural practitioners and those sensitive to the supernatural, sometimes even unprompted, that I have a very open spirit, which is just a nice way of saying that ghosts and spirits are attracted to me, and I have had my fair share of weird-ass experiences to show for it. Most of them are benign, suddenly feeling like someone is in a room with me or walking into a space and feeling intense emotions. But something I've learned in the past 12 years is that if there is an active ghost or spirit around, they will often try to communicate with me. This has led to a variety of experiences. Some are even funny, but I wanted to share with you one of the most frightening ones. During my freshman year of college, I lived in the oldest dorm on campus. It was built in the 1930s and was the only option for campus housing that was just for women. My dad was thrilled. (laughs) I'd heard all of the spooky stories about the dorm, but I hadn't really experienced anything. The only weird thing that I'd encountered was that my closet had a strange temperature fluctuation. It was a pretty deep closet for a dorm. I could walk inside and use it to change as I often did. There wasn't a vent in the space, and it didn't have a wall that was attached to the exterior building, but it would frequently be several degrees colder than the rest of our dorm room. Hmm. I even bought a temperature gauge to prove it, and sure enough, just as my closet, uh, and sure enough, just my closet was 12 degrees Whoa. colder than everywhere else in the dorm. That's weird, weird, right? But that's all my roommate or I ever thought about it, that it was just weird. It's April 2011, and one night I was doing some homework in my dorm. My roommate was across campus hanging out with her brother, so I had the space to myself and was getting ahead on some schoolwork. I was finishing up some Latin homework when the electricity started to flicker. Again, this was an old building and stuff like this wasn't too uncommon, so I just rolled my eyes, went out into the hallway to hang out with my neighbors until the electricity figured itself out. My neighbor across the hall was already outside of her room, and I remember closing my door behind me and gesturing to it. So annoying, right? Our tuition dollar's hard at work. My neighbor gave me an odd look, and so I clarified, the electricity, you know, it's on the fritz again. She unlocked her room and peeked inside and shrugged, mine's fine. Strange. I unlocked my door again, the doors lock automatically when they close, and nope, my electricity was still flickering almost obnoxiously. But it's an old building and maybe the wiring wasn't connected across the hall, I don't know. I closed my door and knocked on my next door neighbor's door. She also was not having any trouble. The neighbor I talked to earlier suggested asking the girls who lived above me, and so I texted them, but they also were not experiencing anything abnormal. Huh. I was perplexed at this point. Because it wasn't a single outlet that was malfunctioning, it was all of the lights, the microwave, the TV, everything. I wasn't worried, though. It was an old building. That's all it had to be. So I turned back to my door, which had been closed and locked behind me this entire time, and prepared to go back to my desk to gather all of my homework and finish up in the lobby or somewhere else. But upon opening my door, I froze. The lights were flickering worse than ever. All of my books, papers, and other school supplies had been thrown onto the floor. It was like someone had dragged their arm across the top of my desk and pushed everything away. My roommate and I had bunk beds, and our comforters and pillows were in complete disarray. 
The cabinets under the sink were opened and some of my roommate's stuff was tossed onto the floor. And as I slowly took it all in, my eyes were drawn to the closet. It was open. And while all of the lights everywhere else were flickering wildly, my closet remained dark and cold. I was seized with a fright I'd never experienced as I stared into the menacing darkness, like the dark eye of a storm. I'm not sure how long I stood there, but one of my neighbors must have been peeking over my shoulder because she gasped, and it broke me out of whatever horrific shock I was in. I quickly shut the door, and the three of us looked at each other with mixed expressions of confusion and fear. What the fuck? The one who gasped had asked. My thoughts exactly. We were on the second floor, and all of our windows were painted shut. No one could have even climbed into my room, and I was standing in front of the door the entire time. So what had happened? I called my roommate and told her everything, and she rushed back to the dorm. I didn't want to sleep there, but we didn't have much choice. Freshmen are required to live on campus for their first year, and the dorms were barely big enough for two people living in them. So my roommate and her brother and I cautiously went back into the room. The room felt heavier, but the electricity was back to normal, and my closet door was now closed. As the three of us began to straighten up, my roommate looked at me with a slightly guilty expression. She asked if I'd heard the ghost story about the little girl who haunts the building. Of course I had. She was the most famous of the ghosts in the building. It's rumored that she was the daughter of a housekeeper who was playing in the hallway and fell down the elevator shaft during a maintenance routine. None of this is confirmed, of course. My roommate, heavy, my roommate heaved a heavy sigh and said, Well, I've seen her a few times. That caught my attention. Oh, you have? My roommate nodded. Sometimes when you leave for your early morning class, I see her. She's leaning against the wall across from our room, waiting for you. It was a chilling revelation. My roommate proceeded to tell me about all the times she'd seen me leave and watched as this little girl would follow me down the hallway. Maybe it was her. Maybe she was having a tantrum or something. My roommate suggested crazy this crazy idea. I hope that's all it was, but I wasn't going to take any chances, especially with the Easter holiday on the horizon, knowing I'd be staying in the dorm room alone. My roommate and I went on a truly comedic journey to find some holy water that led me and my roommate to stealing a blessed candle, which we then lit and put in my closet. I'm not sure if it worked or if the little girl decided to go somewhere else, but I didn't experience anything else in that particular dorm room. But according to my roommate, the little girl still followed me to class until I moved out of that dorm room at the end of the year. Is that crazy? That is crazy. If, if it was, if it was just, if the only element of that story was the roommate seeing a little girl following her to class and she never noticed it, I would yeah. just think that she had a crazy ass roommate. <laughs> what? <laughs> like that the roommate was just making it up. Like just like. That, that didn't even occur to me. They live in a building that is notoriously haunted. Right, right, right. But, but I'm just, yeah. But, but if she hadn't also experienced some weird stuff. because you're evil and you want to fuck with people. So you would do that to someone. <laughs> right. Most people wouldn't do that. Yeah. Which is why I projected that onto mm-hmm. that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but the whole like scenario of the electricity and, and you know the, next door next door across the hall upstairs no one ha- no one else is having problems right i mean i think the tantrum is kind of logical that's great and, and the 12 degree temperature drop is really interesting right. like i mean I, I don't i have no idea what's normal i mean i know the temperature does vary inside of pretty much any building just based on like how the air ducts and the, the airflow like, but 12 degrees is substantial substantial and also you're talking about a really small room like a, yeah a dorm is probably smaller than this studio honestly right. if you really think about it they're really small so it's not like it's going to be 12 degrees difference from here to there no that's yeah. insane 
Eek. Even in our house where like the upstairs is significantly hotter yeah. than like the mid level yeah. or like downstairs. It's not like it's 12 degrees colder from the basement to the, like the upstairs. Yeah, I'd be, I'm curious now. Like I have no idea. Like I wonder what the temperature difference is in our house. If it's 12 like, degrees, like, I'm moving out. <laughs> well, like, heat rises. Yes. And, and that would be, you know, what would be really ridiculous. It would scare me is if it was, if one of the upstairs rooms mm. had a closet that was 12 degrees colder than other parts of the house, because that would make no sense just right. based on how based on how heat just operates. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> I also need to have HVAC come in because why is the upstairs like sweltering hot? I feel like our kids have conjured something up there because <laughs> no. it is so hot up there. I, I think it's just because of all of our heating that gets kicked out of the vents just goes right up to the But it was never floor. like that before. This is a huh. new thing in the last six months. Yeah, I don't know. Monroe loves it so much because she said the heat vent on the floor in the um, hallway bathroom is so strong and so hot that if you go to the bathroom in there, it's like you have a <laughs> Oh, yeah, she has said that. You have a heated toilet seat yeah. and a heated towel to dry your hands on. Nice. Yeah. So there you have it. <laughs> okay, so now off to Mexico. Okay, yeah. Yes. And so this is um, like a generational story that's been handed down, which mm-hmm. I love. Mm-hmm. And I was remembering that neither one of us really have any stories. So I want to propose that when we die, we come back and haunt our kids so that uh, they have a generational story. Sounds fun. That seems, yeah. seems like a good I'd idea. I'd like to haunt people. Uh, just them specifically. <laughs> they were they were a little shitty this weekend. So oh, boy. They were. So I would like to haunt them right now. <laughs> Okay, so this email goes as such. Hey, this is Christian from L.A. I have a super spoopy experience that happened to my mom when she was a young girl growing up in Mexico during the late 70s. Before moving into the States in the mid-90s, my mom was born and raised in the city of Aguascalientes, Mexico. Aguascalientes is a small landlocked state in Mexico. I myself was also born in Aguascalientes and lived there for about four years before I moved to the States with my mom. Before I came along, my mom and the rest of our immediate family lived in a house in the suburbs of the city. It was a temporary place of residence as my grandparents were looking for a more permanent place to raise their children. I'll add that I myself never lived in this house, so I have no memory of it at all. And this story relies solely on my family and specifically my mom's memory as this terrifying experience happened to her specifically. The house was uh, the house was older than most houses, and there were areas of the home that had not been completed or renovated. Specifically, there was an alcove in a part of the house that anyone with a small enough frame could fit through. Beyond the alcove, one could see dirt and occasionally some grass, depending on the time of year. When they moved in, my grandparents told all six of their children to never go in there because they were worried someone would be hurt or get stuck. After living in the house for about three months, my mom and her siblings were playing a game of jacks one night. It was getting rather late, and my grandmother urged my mom and her siblings to call it a night and go to bed. Being the end of the week, with no school following in the morning, my mom and her siblings continued to play jacks until late in the night. As I mentioned, the house where they were living was much older and actually had no electricity, so they relied on the light of candles during the night. At about 2 a.m., my mom and her siblings, having disobeyed my grandmother, were still at it playing jacks. Sometime throughout a game, my mom's brother was accused of cheating, and he got very angry and took the ball, walked over to the alcove, and threw the ball into it. Typical kid stuff. My mom and her siblings were very upset with him and demanded that he go get the ball. They all peered into the alcove and saw nothing but pitch black. My uncle's anger immediately turned into fear, and he refused to go in and retrieve the ball. Determined to get the ball back, my mom and her siblings decided to settle this with a game of rock, paper, scissors. 
Eventually, my mom ended up being the unlucky one, and it was she who would have to venture into the dark to retrieve the ball. My mom stepped forward with a mixture of fear and excitement and began to squeeze her way through the space. It was a winter night, and the rock felt ice cold. She eventually made it through to the other side and could hear the sound of dirt underneath her feet. She looked around and could see virtually nothing. She looked up and saw what looked like a brick roof and could see specks of moonlight poking through, but it was not enough to illuminate the room. She called out to her siblings to reach into the space as far as they could with the candle. They did this and provided just enough light to allow her to see her surroundings. My mom looked all over the ground and eventually she spotted what looked like the blue jacks ball at the edge of the dirt where the patch of grass occasionally grew. She walked over to the area to collect the ball. She began to feel nervous because as she walked closer to the location of the ball, the light provided by the candle grew dimmer and dimmer. Eventually, she arrived at the ball and could just barely make out the patch of grass that stood before her. My mom bent over to pick up the ball, and when she stood, she was immediately frozen with fear. Before her, down on the patch of grass, laid what looked like a black body. Seconds later, the light of the candle began to burn more intensely and brighter, and she could now see that it was in fact a man's body that laid before her. Still frozen with fear, she could see that the man looked as though he had been badly burnt. His entire body looked as though it had been charred. My mom was petrified and was unable to move, and when she opened her mouth to scream, nothing came out. She stared intently at the man, and then his body twitched. She smelled what was a mixture between the odor of a match being struck and that of rotten eggs. My aunts and uncles yelled for my mom, but they heard nothing from her in response. The man's body continued to writhe in every contortion with the smell intensifying until my mom heard her siblings scream in disgust. The smell had reached them too. Then the man slowly lifted his arm and it raised and she could hear what sounded like bones snapping. The man turned his arm over, and again my mom heard bones breaking. The odor was the strongest now, and the candle was burning the brightest. My mom saw the man's mouth open to reveal a menacing smile. She could make out what looked like bright white teeth against the dark of his skin. His eyes flew open to reveal a pair of glowing red eyes. With his arm raised and that menacing smile spread across his face, he began to curl his index finger, beckoning my mom to come closer. My mom finally let out a scream, and immediately the flame on the candle went out as she broke Uh. out of her paralysis and ran, not looking back, using nothing but her memory and other senses to feel where the opening of the alcove was. She rushed back through, scraping and cutting herself. She made it back before falling in front of my aunts and uncles, sweaty, scratched up, and crying. They all asked what had happened, and she could not even begin to string together an explanation. Eventually, my grandparents were woken by the noises and came out. My mom then ran over to them and hugged my grandmother tight. She cried and exclaimed that she had seen El Diablo, the devil. That night and for the following months, my mom and some of her other siblings often slept with my grandparents. And what of the jack's ball? My mom failed to retrieve it at night as she dropped it running away from whatever she saw. She said... Her and her siblings would not go near the alcove again, and it was not until some cousins came to visit that they saw the ball again. A couple of my grandmother's relatives came to visit the ranch where she grew up. One afternoon, my mom's cousins were bored and asked if they had any games to play. They told my mom and her siblings that they had brought a set of jacks, but they had lost the ball during their trip. My mom immediately began to get nervous, having remembered that terrifying night. One of my mom's brothers, the only one who didn't believe my mom, 
said that they had a set, but their ball also went missing in the past. They explained that it was in the space behind the alcove. Her brother asked one of his visiting cousins to fetch the ball so they could play. With the prospect of having some fun, this cousin obliged and crawled through the space. About three or so minutes later, he crawled back with the ball in hand. I got it. Now let's play. Oh, and also, what's up with that burnt patch of grass in there? I hope this story scares the shit out of you because to this day, it continues to scare the shit out of my mom, my aunts, my uncles, and myself. <laughs> Keep up the amazing work. Your creeper light, Christian. <laughs> creeper light. Uh, thanks, Christian. Interesting, yeah. huh? Mm-hmm. That's such an uh, interesting scene with, uh, like, I, I, I love that in horror movies when, like, somebody has, like, a candle and then the oh, candle yeah. goes out when they're near the thing that terrifies them and they're just left in absolute darkness, like how terrifying that would be. Oh my God. And I just had this random thought, like candles add so much to like horror stories. I was just thinking like um, what I like about, you know, uh, stories set in the past when there weren't like you – know, ele- when there wasn't electricity. Right. It's just how much spookier candles make everything. And yeah. It, and it made me think about when power went out here recently mm-hmm. and we had to have – I mean, we had flashlights, but mostly candles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we lit so many candles. Just that flickering light. It just creates such a different mood mm-hmm. and all – and it creates such different shadows. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like I, I wonder – I wonder how many ghost stories there would be going forward if there was just constant electricity everywhere – and powerful fluorescent lights all the time. I mean, we still have them, but, it, but would they be, be as scary? I don't yeah. know. It just feels so much safer when you can just flip some switches and you just have this powerful light right. that just kind of destroys almost all the shadows. Yeah. As opposed to like back in the day when you had to just like, you hear something spooky in you're the like distance and you're like, oh like, shit. Yeah. You're trying to get like a little candle lit and then you just have this tiny like little light. lamp. Ah, I just kept thinking about like the image of her going to that little alcove with just that one little candle. And And she's not even holding it. It's like her, you know, her siblings are like holding it through this break in the wall. So it's not even like she has control over it. I hate that so much. And the fact that it got brighter and then the smell of Mm -hmm. like, as she was approaching this, what vivid imagery of that dude. Yeah. What sealed the deal for me was when the cousin went back in there and asked why there was a burnt patch of grass in there. Because the way that I'm thinking about this house is it's like, you know, it's probably stucco, right? Like, and there's this area that's blocked off that they're telling their kids not to go into. So why does anything grow in there anyways? If it's completely enclosed and just some weird in-between space in the house that, you know, didn't get developed properly or whatever. Right. It's like, it's almost like some weird closet. Yeah, How, why yeah, like, would grass there's, there's no ever grow light. in there? Right. Why would grass ever grow in there to begin with? And then why uh, would it be burnt? How could that grass be burnt without the whole house having had a fire? Yeah. Like, it's, it's it's weird. Just adding adding to the lore. Yeah. Another chapter that adds to the totality of all this weird shit to think about. I know. I know. I've been doing pretty well actually. Mhm. I've been I've been getting a little more uh spooked. Um, I think just because I'm like delving more back into it and like Mm -hmm. watching more horror again. And so I I just have like more images going through my brain recently in Mm -hmm. addition to the stories. Mm -hmm. And just for the first time in a while, like like just having moments where I'm like, I don't think I will go down to the basement right now. There's a book that I keep contemplating reading. And of course, I cannot remember the name of it right now. But we have a fan who's a former priest a former franciscan i'm not going to get it right but something in the religious sect Mm -hmm. and has left the faith and is studying something very scientific Mm -hmm. um 
but was a what is what is the word a demonologist? I think that yeah, that's I a think thing. that's you know, and has like dealt with those things. And so every so often, I will get an email from this person saying like, "Oh, you you mentioned this on the show. Let me explain this to you." Or you yeah, he, they well, you know, it's a he. It's if it was a priest, he recommended a book recently just about the psychology of the dark side and and yeah, yeah and I'm just you know that there. are I don't know. Is it scientific proof? I'm I'm emailing with him right now to kind of figure out if I can handle reading this book. But I'm just I'm fascinated behind the science of it. I don't want to watch a scary movie. I don't need yeah. to have the shit scared out of me. I have the show. <laughs> but I'm curious about your brain and the things that happen in your brain. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like when you read like the uh, the reports on a murderer or a rapist or, you know, some like prolific killer and, you know, some psychologist is weighing in yeah, their on profile. A, it's so fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be Clarice when I was a kid. Me too. Me yeah. too. Yeah. Didn't we all? FBI profiler. Yeah. And then also like demonologist. I'm sure I went through at least a brief no. fanciful thought of like, oh, I could be the one. I don't know. Or, 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 or at least or, or at least were was, you know, fascinated by that type profession yeah yeah i'm still fascinated by mm-hmm. what makes people tick yeah so i can just you know like especially you because i want to irritate you more oh great <laughs> <laughs> okay do you want to do um some annabelle shout outs yes and and just uh for clarification because i know that we mentioned maybe last week or two weeks ago that we're mm-hmm. going to bump it up because we pre-record and because the stories are pre-written that means that i also have the Shout outs pre designated to an episode. Yeah. So incoming episodes we are gonna bump it up, but Yeah, to get more people in each episode. Not there yet, but not too many. Predetermined. So it's 30. You know, yeah. Thirty. That'll be just five extra yeah. each. It'll still be special. Exactly. Okay. So I want to thank uh the Annabelle's uh Mick Pernicano, uh Daria Kataparova, Daniel Nelson, Karina McLeodborn, Kevin Demaala, um Jenny Christ- Cristiano, Ed Berkey Jr., Chris No Last Name. Cody Hanscheck, Hanscheck, probably Hanscheck, 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 and then Daniel Blower. Daniel, I feel pretty confident about your name. If you have some weird <laughs> pronunciation of Blower, Blower, yeah, then you're having you're having to correct everyone. Oh, that's so frustrating. I mean, my maiden name was terrible, Radzeminski. <laughs> Radzeminski, and I bet Daniel got teased a little more than you growing oh, up. I bet, uh, Mister Blower. Oh, there's a lot of ways junior high kids can take that. Oh, well, I'm, between Daniel Blower and Daniel Cummins, you guys oh my God. a pair. Cummins and Blower, the law office of Cummins and Blower. <laughs> <laughs> a great pair. I love it. Oh, all right. My Annabelle shout outs go out to Matt Beltramo, Jason No, Noy, N-O-E. N-O-E. Mm. Mm. No, ah, I'm going no, no. I think no. Blade Wilcox, such a. Cool name. Wow, Blade Wilcox. I know, is that fucking awesome? And it's B-L-A-Y-D-E. Blade Wilcox sounds like a, a character on The Walking Dead. I know. Right? Or like, he's like part a of superhero. The, he's pl- <laughs> right. And Blade could be a girl. Blade could be a girl. Either way, Sexist. I, Blade Blade could be a character on The Walking Dead, man or woman, who's handy with a sword, good at co- chopping off zombies' heads. Blade Wilcox made me think of Uma Thurman, Kill Bill. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, carrying on. Travis, no last name. Kayla Grubau. Uh, Cassie Lynn Blevins, Daniel and Jimmy, Tracy Weaver, Mr. Woodgood. Mr. Woodgood. And Mr. Blower. Is Woodgood a real name? I don't know. Woodgood. Cummins, Woodgood, and Blower. (laughs) You guys. Well, now I want that to be a thing. If you could make that happen. And also, lastly, Marshall, no last name. And then, of course, I have a handful of spooby shout outs. Yes. To Lily and Ryan from Allie, your mom. She says, thanks for getting me hooked on Scared to Death. Good job, guys. Yay. To Rebecca from Michael, happy belated birthday. 
to Tristan from Derek, also a happy belated birthday, to Willis from JD, happy birthday, and to Lizzie from your dad, Tracy, he loves you. And that's it. <laughs> that is so sweet. I know. I love all the like parent-child combos. I know I've mm-hmm. said that before. I love that too. But it's it's super fun. Because mm-hmm. like my mom doesn't give a shit about the shit. <laughs> if uh, if any of you heard any very strange noises today, it was it, it was either Lindsay's chair or possibly my stomach. My I stomach, stomach has been going crazy with growling. Are you hungry? Morning. Yeah, I've been trying to eat a little bit less, and man, it is just my stomach's going bananas. Maybe you don't need to eat less. Maybe you need to eat more of the things you should eat. Probably. Like, you know, maybe don't start with like oatmeal that's filled with sugar but maybe instead you have like you know like three scrambled egg whites with two egg yolks like some turkey oh. bacon toast avocado i know sounds like a lot of work though too well that's what you have a wife for oh yes uh <laughs> i love to cook that, that was not some weird sexist <laughs> backhanded shit <laughs> that's all for today thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scared to death podcast.com you can email us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith on social media and badmagicmerch.com with a design. Store at badmagicproductions.com for customer service there. Producer Sophie Evans for help with story curation. Joe Paisley for producing and directing today. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. And Heather Rylander for the My Story emails. Uh, also, thank you to uh, Spotify again. Uh, appreciate, you know, whenever we're placed on Spooky Stories, that playlist. And thanks again to Pandora for the boosts. Boosts. Letting people know about our show. Uh, Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to see us. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content and to see the pictures that accompany the shows, Lindsay's and mine, at Scared to Death Podcast. And we have a private Facebook group, Preeps and Peepers, with over 12,000 members now. Thanks to Liz Hernandez for moderating. And if you don't want more ads, uh, if you you want bonus episodes that are monthly, Check out our Patreon. You're I, fumb- over I that. fumbled that whole burp, 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 burp. sentence. Preeps and reapers. Did I say preeps and reapers? You said preeps and creepers. Creeps and peepers, huh? Yeah, well, you're, it's all right. You're hungry. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can, get, you can get all this and so much more. Uh, enjoy your nightmares. I'll just get out of here. <laughs> creeps and peepers. I'm going to go Bye, eat. Bye, guys. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but hath no home here within, scared to death. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 